You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Hallett. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. The second round is in full swing, and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day. The best part? It's free-to-play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. Every day of the basketball playoffs, head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time, only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, Connor Halley. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley, and we've got a great show for you here on the podcast today, of course, a week ago, we were all pretty down. Of course, the Edmonton Oilers being swept by the Winnipeg Jets. Four straight games, three overtime losses, one game that was really a one-goal loss, a couple empty netters for the Jets. But a week ago, we were all pretty down and upset. I, I hope you've all moved on. I hope you're happier now. Uh, if you're in the Edmonton area, the weather is beautiful right now. The sun is shining and uh, patios open up today. So hopefully you can go have a beer, sit on the patio with a friend or someone you live with. I think that's the rules you have to follow and hopefully things are going good for everyone out there. We've got a great show for you today. We will talk about the Oilers because, of course, this is an Oilers-focused podcast. We're going to bring on Reed Wilkins. He is the host of Inside Sports and Oilers Hockey on 630 Ched. Inside Sports, of course, Monday through Friday from 6 to 8. We'll talk to Reed about the Oilers this past season and what can they look forward to this off season? What will free agency bring? What about the draft? Where should Ken Holland be looking? We'll talk to Reed about that later on in the show. We're also going to talk to Brennan Clack. He used to work with me at TSN 1260. Now he's a little bit down the dial. He's a contributor at Fantrax. You can give him a follow on Twitter at NHL Update. And if you're looking for NHL updates, I recommend you do so. I mean, the guy is right on it. You see an insider drop something, he seems to have it right there as well, or maybe a little bit before. So uh, like I said, at NHL Update, that's Brennan Clock. We're going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers heading into free agency, maybe some players that he likes to join the squad, as well as the expansion draft. And who might the Seattle Kraken be looking at for the Edmonton Oilers? He's going to give us a couple of names that you might have to watch out for. And if you're someone who bought their jersey... You might have a collector's item because the Edmonton Oilers will be losing somebody to the Seattle franchise when the NHL expansion draft does occur. Uh, one thing I want to get to here for the Edmonton Oilers, AHL affiliate Bakersfield, the Condors, killing it right now. Jay Woodcroft and his staff doing some amazing things. Not only are they developing prospects that we've seen, Kyler Yamamoto, Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, William Legison, 
They're also winning hockey games, and over the weekend, they were the Pacific Division winners when they defeated the Henderson Silver Knights 3-2. to It's their second title in the last three years, and it was really just a great season. I mean, it started off a little bit slow for the team, but they picked it up, and they were just rolling with it. And we had Ryan Holt, the voice of the team on the podcast on, I want to say January, maybe it was early February, and he kind of talked about it, how... This coaching staff, knowing that they weren't going to lose players, there was no fear. They just knew they had to build that chemistry, and they did so. Cooper Marodi was outstanding this year, 21 goals, 36 points in 39 games. Tyler Benson, he had 36 points in 36 games. He finished fifth, Marodi finishing first. Those are guys you got to watch out for, and maybe down the road they have a chance at the Oilers. I'm sure you know going to the training camp next season, they'll be there pushing for a roster spot. So that's going to be something to watch out for. But good on the Edmonton Oilers uh, organization down in Bakersfield, doing great things. And I think Jay Woodcroft, his name's probably going to be mentioned in other coaching circles for what he's been able to do. Lots of times in the AHL, I think some coaches focus on winning games. Others might focus on developing. He found a way to do both. So we're all really proud of what they were able to accomplish in this AHL season and uh, more things to come with the Condors going forward. We'll get Ryan Holt on the podcast in the future to talk about this outstanding season. But right now, let's get to Reed Wilkins of 630. Chad, I had a chance to sit down with him earlier on today. We'll get to that right now. We're now joined by Reed Wilkins of 630. Chad, he is the host of Inside Sports, part of the Oilers Radio Network. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Reed Wilkins. Reed, thanks so much for doing this again today. How are you doing? I'm not sure you should encourage people to follow me on Twitter. It's a pretty bland <laughs> Twitter account. Like, I'm not one of those people that's posting pictures of my food or making it, uh, making my life look really glamorous and a lot of selfies uh, with friends at cozy little pubs and stuff. It's pretty much like, hey, here are the line combinations. Listen to the game tonight. Okay, good. That's pretty much all I got for you. What I would say is that if you want substance, you follow Reed Wilkins on Twitter. There's not going to be a lot of fluff, not a lot of, you know, the boring stuff, but what Oiler fans actually want. Well, that's a that's a nice way to spin it. I appreciate that, Connor. You have you clearly uh, are, are are a very good media person, and maybe you got a future in public relations. Well, you as well. I just I just was checking my Twitter account. Actually, my last post did make a reference to the X Files, which probably like me and two other people thought was clever. You know what? That's a TV show, and I you know we'll talk about the Oilers in a second here. Like as a kid, it freaked me out, and I always wanted to get into it. I still want to watch that. I watched the first couple episodes, thought it was great, and then it just kind of didn't happen. So, I one day I will appreciate that tweet when I actually get out there and watch it. You you should watch at least watch until the end of season six, because probably episodes three through six, or pardon me, seasons three through six, in my mind some of the best television that I've seen. And certainly I haven't watched everything, especially in this day and age, there's a lot out there, but it, uh, you know, first season was good. Second season was good. And then I think like I said, seasons three through six, it really hit its vibe. It, it, it had a bunch of quirky episodes that, that really worked kind of the, it, it got, it always kept going with the through line of the alien mythology, but as the show wore on, that was the least interesting part for me. I liked the monster of the week where they might put an interesting twist on, um, you know, a well-known myth or certain uh, monster stereotypes. So those, those were the ones that, that I liked as, as, I, as the, sh- as the show went on. All right. Well, I do like that. And I think it's impressive when a show can stay good season three through six, because I don't know if you were a Dexter guy, but there was some lulls kind of in there. And I think season was it season seven where it just got terrible. And now it's coming back. 
Uh, we could probably talk TV for a full hour here, but let's get into the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, obviously, we're uh, a week since it happened. They were swept at the hands of the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, that last game, just heartbreaking the way it happened. I want to ask you, I mean, you guys went on extremely late with your post-game coverage. What was the reaction from the fan base? Uh, sorry, after which game or just in after just, the old game the four? Series? Yeah, after the series. Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember because it was pretty late. <laughs> we, I mean, we we got stuff all over the map. Um, certainly, some credit to the Jets and to Hellebuck. Um, I, I mean, we get a lot of questions and comments about where do they go from here. But to me, those the answer to that question is the same regardless of how they would have done. The Oilers' needs were pretty apparent for another top six winger, for a couple guys on the third line, especially a center. You know, you'd like to solidify the goaltending, and I think you'd like a little a little more size on D. So we got some questions. We got, you know, comments about that. And, I mean, people weren't, weren't happy, obviously. And, then, and, of course, we got a couple, well, McDavid's going to want to leave, and <laughs> McDavid's not that good type comments where it's like, okay, whatever, like – I'll give you airtime. Like the show is there for people to put their stuff out into the world if they want to put out into the world, though I don't really subscribe to, to either of those theories. So yeah, I, I think it was a little, it was a little all over the map. I mean, no one's happy about it. I mean, and I remember one guy said, well, this is disappointing, but we probably weren't winning the next round anyway. So we just got to build on it and see and fill in the holes that we have. Yeah, take the higher draft pick and uh, and move on. That's kind of how it was over here as well. Just, you know, some disappointment. Some people looking towards the future and what might happen. Uh, despite the result in the end of the season, I mean, there were some some bright spots for sure. Darnell Nurse takes a step. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi finding a spot on the top line. Was there someone who maybe surprised you this season in a good way with how they played? Yeah, I'd have to go with Pugliarvi. And certainly Nurse was a great story. Smith was a great story. Even McDavid was a great... Literally, McDavid exceeded expectations, <laughs> even though he would have been picked by a lot of people to win the score race and the Hart Trophy. I still think he exceeded the point total. But I have to go with Jesse Pugliarvi because going into this season, I had no expectations for Pugliarvi. And that's not, I don't mean that I expected nothing. I just mean that... I, I had literally had no idea what to expect. I mean, you could have told me, hey, he's going to get 15 goals like he did. And I've been like, okay. Or you could have said he'll be out of the league by the end of January. I could have been like, yeah, that's very, that's just as possible. But he, he really got improved as the season went on. He looked more comfortable. He looked more poised. He, you could see him start to figure out what he could do both with and without the puck. He used his size pretty well. He started to muck it up around the net a lot more as the year went on. And for the most part, he, he was able to finish plays. So I, I would think that's probably one of the biggest pluses for the Oilers is that I think you can go into next season thinking like, okay, like Pugliarvi's the real deal. It's not a fluke that he was able to get some goals. He was doing a lot of the little things well, and some nights he got rewarded. Now on the flip side, uh, what was the biggest disappointment for you this season? Well, I think Turris and Cahoon, I'll mm-hmm. kind of lump them in together. And I know Cahoon, I th- what he wound up with nine, I think, eight or nine, like a respectable total, I suppose, if over 82 games, maybe he gets to 14. But, you know, I, I think that just they, 
they never grabbed those roles. And I, I, I know it was, you're kind of taking, Ken Holland was kind of taking a chance on both players, but just the fact that it came down to the two most important games of the year in games three and four, and they were both scratched. They weren't even deemed good enough to be in the lineup. And like I referenced earlier with what the Oilers are looking for now, especially with a third line center, there's no progress there. You, you don't think, okay, we can, have tourists play another year there. And then maybe McLeod gets that role. You're still kind of left searching for somebody to be the third line center. So that was really disappointing that there, there was a good addition to the top six with Pugliarvi, but in terms of the contributions that they got from the depth players, it didn't really increase from previous years. And we're still left talking about that as something the Oilers need. Now, one inevitability of the offseason is the expansion draft with the Seattle Kraken entering the NHL. And, I mean, there's been a few names tossed around who could potentially be picked by the Kraken. Anyone stand out for you and, uh, well, reasoning why it might be a good choice for an expansion franchise? Yeah, I wonder about Caleb Jones. I, and again, if you look how he was used with the Oilers and some of the players they have coming, does he? Does it look like he fits in here long term as much as he might have a year or two ago? I, I would think he would be made available. I think there's still some potential there, and obviously he's on a pretty cheap deal, so maybe the crack and look there. William Lagason, who's a little bit older, again a depth guy. So, you know, maybe, maybe players like that. Uh, I think the Oilers are going to be able to protect, obviously, their, their key young guys. But I guess another name I'd have to give you, Connor, is Oscar Clefbaum. Could he be left unprotected because of the issue with the shoulder? And maybe Seattle says, okay, well, we'll take a chance because if we don't, if he doesn't pan out or he doesn't recover, well, then we never had him to begin with. We're a new team. And if he is uh, healthy and able to play, then you got a pretty good player on, you know, a fairly, uh, fairly manageable salary. So I, I, I would think the Oilers are probably going to lose a defenseman. Uh, I, I know, you know, we get some other names thrown out like, well, well, would Seattle take Koskinen or guys like that? I mean, I, I can't see them taking a player like that for what they're, for what they're getting paid. So I, I would look maybe towards one of the defensemen that I mentioned. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the way I looked at it as well. Uh, Caleb Jones just kind of seems like a perfect fit, obviously. Uh, played uh, the junior hockey with Portland, so there's that West Coast connection. Uh, that'd be an interesting one for sure, and a guy they can develop, absolutely. Uh, with the Oilers, obviously a, a name that's pretty polarizing in this town, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's been here for a long time, been very loyal to the Oilers organization. What do you think happens with Nuge? And, and do you think the, the obviously the first step is the negotiation process, but what, what do you think the term would look like if they are able to agree on a new contract? You know, I, I, I'm, I, I am kind of all over the map on this one in my head. I think he stays. I'll start there very generally. And I know that's not what, exactly what you're asking. Me, oh, that's fine. <laughs> I think he winds up staying because I think he wants to be here. I think despite this, this playoff disappointment, he recognizes there are some pretty darn good players on the team that he gets to play with. And I think at the end of the day, Ken Holland realizes that even though his point production wasn't what you would like it to be five on five this season, he still, he still does a lot of things well that help, you know, being a good penalty killer helps being a responsible defensive player helps the, the quandary for Holland is those characteristics don't get paid a lot of money. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> Ultimately, you get paid for offense. I would think he's he's going to sign. Pro- I, I mean, I I don't think it's going to be a max length deal, but I can't see. I mean, I've seen some people say, "Well, just sign him for a year and see what happens." I, I don't really know who wins in that situation. You know, like it's not great for news because he doesn't get the security. And then if he does have a huge year and he walks, then what what good does that do the Oilers? I, I mean, I would think he would still probably come in at four or five years. The thing is, I, I'm sure the Oilers don't want to give him a raise. And we hear a lot of speculation about the Adam Larson deal that he actually might take a slight cut, right, and be three-point-something instead of the just over four that he's at right now. So I, I think it gets done. I think it's probably four or five years. You know, hopefully for the Oilers' stake, for the for the cap, it's – it's maybe 6.25 per season. I, I, I can't, I can't see how the Oilers could justify even going up to seven given the year he had offensively and the fact that they have two really high paid players on the team and Darnell Nurse is, is going to be do a big contract in a year from now. And I know that, I, I know that that's not for some fans, it's not a comfortable position because yes, I get the argument. Well, you could sign two players for that amount of money. Well, yeah, but what if, like what if one is slightly better than Nuge offensively, but way worse defensively, and the other guy can kill penalties but can't score? Like at least with Nuge, you have all the, the <laughs> most of the good characteristics in one player. You're not going to have to put a guy on the ice that, that can't do the other thing that Nuge does. So I mean, you're you're closer to this team than you know probably the average person listening to the podcast. Uh, people out there, what do you think, uh, or just how much do you think he means inside the room to the rest of the team when it comes to just leadership and the, the presence that he has? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I, you know, and see, I wasn't in the dressing room this year either. <laughs> so it's, I mean, I certainly get the sense though he's respected. I, I, I mean, I think that there's no doubt in my mind he's respected. And, and you hear when the players and coaches talk about the leadership core, his name always comes up. I, I mean, my experience with Nuge is, and I've known him. Uh, well, the whole time he's been in the NHL, I've, you know, I've known him professionally and he, I can just tell you how he deals with me. He's, he's straightforward. He is, uh, he's professional. He is, uh, available when asked, you know, he never makes you feel like he's doing you a favor to give you an interview or that he's got one foot out the door and, and is uh, going to be, give you answers, but, but, but be dismissive. And I think that's just who he is. And I think he's that way as a teammate as well, where he's got time for all the guys on the team and you know, he's, he's someone that is trusted on and off the ice. That's the sense I get from what people say about him. And that's the sense from my professional dealings with them. I mean, I know when uh, they were on the pause, uh, he was one guy, the Oilers actually, they made him available to be one-on-one for my show twice, mm-hmm. you know, from the end of last March till when they, they started up, this year, just as a player who was available to check in with and get an Oiler player on your show and talk about what he's been doing. And he did those interviews. And even at that time, I asked him about the contract and, you know, he kind of politely said, I, I don't have much to say about it. You know, <laughs> So he, uh, I, you know, I think he's just a, a, a solid individual. And I do think, you know, I always joke like, well, good in the room, but how are you on the ice? But he's actually pretty good on the ice too. So I do think he's, He's a trusted player, and I would th- I would guess that most of the guys in the dressing room would would like him to be around because I think they recognize what he does bring. 
You mentioned Adam Larson as well, and I mean, tough start to the season. I think everyone's going to remember that pinch against Vancouver. It wasn't maybe uh, the greatest play we've seen from him all year, but he really stepped up his game down the stretch and was a, a really good player for the Edmonton Oilers. You talked about him potentially taking even a pay cut to stick with the organization. Now, out of uh, 10, how confident are you that Adam Larson re-signs with the Oilers? 10. <laughs> Just lock it in, right? Yeah, oh yeah, I think he's coming back for sure. All right, perfect. Because that, that's kind of where I was thinking as well. Um, heading into the offseason now, obviously free agency will be here before we even know it. What would be your top area of concern for the Oilers where you might look to add some depth? My top area? Yes, sir. You know, I would actually put third line center above a scoring winger. Because... The, the problem is everything that a third line center is supposed to do, you have to put dry settle McDavid out to do it. And usually dry settle. I mean, wouldn't it be great if dry settle didn't have to take every damn face off in his own end, like for one game, you know, like there was a game against the leaf, the, the jets. He, there were, I think 31 face offs in the game and he took 32 of them. Like it's insane. I mean, so I, I think, and that's a way maybe to cut his minutes. So he's not, I mean, look, Connor, in game four, he had 22 shot attempts, 10 shots on goal. I think he had eight wide and four blocked. And he, but he had a couple from point blank in the slot in those overtimes and he shot wide. To me, that's fatigue that he's just out there so much. So I, I think obviously you'd need some, you, you would love somebody else to play in the top six who could finish and snipe some goals. Absolutely. But I, I think if you, if you have a third line center who's competent, it takes some of the duress off McDavid and Dreisaitl and perhaps give them, gives them even more time to focus on the things they do best. One last question for you before I let you go, Rita. The draft coming up here, and I've had a few guests on talking about, you know, where the Oilers could go or should go, and there's a lot of hype about a local goaltender playing with the Edmonton Oil Kings who could potentially be there when the Oilers select. Is, is there a position you look at as a position of need going into the draft, or are the Oilers organizationally in a position where it's best player available? I think it's probably best player available. I, and I think from Ken Holland, we've seen what he took Broberg eighth and Holloway 14th. And I think those were kind of best player available situations. I, I think he wanted a defenseman the year he took Broberg, but, but I mean, that's also Broberg was a pretty good, good pick. You, you make an interesting point bringing up Sebastian Cosa because the last sort of homegrown goaltender the Oilers had that played in the NHL was Devin Dubnik. And you look back on it, it would have been great to have Devin Dubnik when he kind of peaked a couple of years after he left Edmonton. I don't think Holland would be reluctant to draft a goaltender. I, 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 Connor, that's a really good point that you make. That could be intriguing. Now, the thing is with goalies, you got to wait for them, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you may not have them as your, as a guy in, on the NHL roster for, for three to five years, but they, they, that's another position they really have to look at. Cause Mike Smith for another year. Okay. Fine. But who's coming? Is Skinner going to grab it? Maybe. We don't know for sure. Is uh, Rodrigue going to grab it? Maybe. We don't know for sure. So I think that's another position they need to, to build depth at. Having said that, I, I would think Ken Holland is going to go into this with a best player available mindset. I hope so. I love I love that mindset. Take the best player there. You can you can add in for agency in other ways and you know find a guy who's 25 to 30, fill those holes and let that top-end talent 
develop the way it should. And I like the the Costa pick, you know, potentially just keeping him in Edmonton. You've got the goaltending coach uh, for the Oilers and the Oil Kings. And like you said, three to five years, just be patient and let it develop properly. Uh, Reed, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, Scully. Excellent stuff from Reed Wilkins of 630 Ched, the host of Inside Sports, as well as Oilers pre and post game on 630 Ched, 6 to 8 for Inside Sports. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins. Even if he doesn't seem to love his account, uh, for Oilers information, it's definitely one of the best. And for the X-Files, Scully, Mulder, I don't know. When I watch it, we'll talk a little bit more about the X-Files. It's definitely one I want to watch. Just haven't got around to it yet. Now let's get to our next guest here on the podcast, Brennan Clack. Of course, used to work with me at TSN 1260. Now he's a little bit further on down the dial. He's a contributor with Fan Tracks. You can give him a follow on Twitter at NHL Update. Brennan, thanks a lot for hopping on the podcast again today. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. The sun is shining. I went to the golf course yesterday, tried to go to the driving range a little bit, and uh, I forgot my glove. So I've got a few of those nice reminders on my hand. And, and that's kind of what I'm feeling this morning. But otherwise it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it, how can you not like plus 20 in the summer? I mean, you, you really can't. And uh, the inner golf know-it-all person in me says, you got to just loosen up on that grip clacker. That's what they would tell me. I honestly haven't golfed in a couple of years, so I wouldn't tell you that, but you know, I just want to relay that message to you from the golf know-it-alls out there that I'm sure could reach out and tell you these things. That's probably a wise decision from you, Connor. I think you still sound expert enough based yeah. on what you're right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like anytime you go golfing, there's always that one know-it-all that has to weigh in on your swing, why you're slicing, any issues you might have, they got to chime in. And I feel like I've picked up enough info that that's what someone might say to you, hypothetically. They have to chime in on every shot. Like it's not just the first <laughs> shot. It's it's you will know it's going to be bad when the first tee you're lining up, and they're like, "Well, you know what though? If your butt was kind of more out of that, then you know you're in trouble." Uh, and and then I like how they'll be very good, and they'll hit a great shot, and you know, casually play it off like, "Oh, best shot I'll hit all day." You know, it's, it's no big deal. You got, got lucky with that one. Yeah, the wind carried it. <laughs> There's a lot of cliche, cliches with golf and everything. But let's talk a little bit about the hockey world clock. Uh, I wanted to have you on here. I know uh, for those who don't follow you on Twitter, you, you are like right up there with the insiders. As soon as something drops, you seem to have it. I'm not going to ask for your sources or anything like that. But I want to talk about the NHL offseason and, you know, especially regarding the Edmonton Oilers, of course. Not the way they would have wanted this season to wrap up uh, the four-game sweep at the hands of the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, now we're already looking towards the future. So I just want to ask you, I mean, first things first, let's look at the uh, the expansion draft. We know the success the Vegas Golden Knights had a couple of years ago, and it really didn't cost the Edmonton Oilers too much. They lose Griffin Reinhardt, who's now a, a regular in the KHL. But this time around, there's a few more questions, a little uncertainty when it comes to the Seattle Kraken and who they might be able to look at. So for you, who do you think are some candidates that the Oilers could potentially lose in the upcoming expansion draft well so first things first i need to get this out there really badly i feel like the message has not been given as clearly as it could be the seattle kraken do not want your garbage and now i'm not going to say that all these players are absolutely useless but by garbage i just mean contracts so that don't help them in any way 
And James Neal and Miko Koskinen have these boat anchor deals that I really do not feel Seattle's going to have any interest in. Oh, just give them a pick. Just give them Caleb Jones. Just give them Tyler Benson. No, they can just pick that guy in the draft and they don't really need this kind of deal. And if you look back at the Vegas Golden Knights and what they did to take on money, they were taking on guys like David Clarkson, Mikhail Grabowski, guys that they could throw onto long-term injury reserve. And if you've seen how teams have utilized the LTIR, they've been using it to kind of evade the cap. That's what Tampa Bay did with Marion Gaverick and Anders Nielsen. It allowed them to have a little bit more room during the regular season. So I do not think that Seattle is going to be taking on deals like Neil and Koskinen. They're going to be more wanting to go in the analytic direction and find gems for guys that might be underappreciated on other teams. And when I think of a target on the Oilers for who they might like, Caleb Jones has to probably be the guy. His analytics have been pretty good over the last few years. He's been utilized in a role where where he has a chance to be in some softer minutes. Sometimes he's with Matt Benning. Uh, like in the bubble when him and Benning were playing together, they ended up at around 60% possession, something around that at five on five. He's had moments of really good passing abilities, had moments of great mobility. He's also had some moments where as a younger player, he takes risks and gives the puck away a lot. That's happened to him too. But I think Seattle will recognize the good in Caleb Jones's game and see him as an undervalued asset. And that's why I think he's the guy that they will grab. But Tyler Benson's an interesting option for them too. And I also think that Seattle would maybe consider a guy like, what happens if the Oilers re-sign Mike Smith before the expansion draft? Then Stuart Skinner becomes a guy that actually could make Seattle, uh, maybe their minor league team, they can develop that kind of guy, right? So there's some options. But I think Jones is the favorite. Yeah, see, I actually went on a podcast and said the exact same thing. And, you know, you're not just going to get Seattle to take your garbage as much as people would have liked it. Jones seems to make a lot of sense. And I just wonder, uh, at the end of the season press conference, Ken Holland said that he has a place near Mike Smith out in Vernon or, you know, some beautiful place out in British Columbia and said they'll have a conversation, they'll figure out. I don't think there's a chance they'd make that uh, official before the expansion draft for that reason. I don't think you can risk losing Stuart Skinner. Just because, you know, I mean, you've got a few goaltending prospects, but do you think there's any chance they would actually even do that? Like even put that out there for an opportunity for Seattle to come in and do that? I mean, you'd think not, but stranger things have happened. And sometimes they just want to get a guy done before any of this hoopla could happen. I mean, the thing is, Adam Larson, you would think, oh, don't sign Adam Larson before expansion because maybe if he – if he doesn't last or if you, if you go past the expansion draft and Larson's still unsigned, but you have a handshake agreement or something along those lines, well then, okay, you can protect another defenseman, but they also might be worried that Seattle can talk to these free agents. That could be a concern as well where hmm, maybe they, they can offer Larson a lot more money or maybe they can offer Barry a lot more money during that, that tiny period, I think it's a 48-hour period where they're allowed to talk to these guys if they are exposed. But in Smith's case, I don't think Seattle's picking him. I think they have other younger options in net that they can go grab. And really, I, I feel like Skinner would be more enticing to them than Mike Smith. So I feel like they can wait until after expansion and have pretty much no problem. But then again, 
it all depends on what that player wants and what the negotiation is like. And I guess we'll find out. And, and Mike Smith is in Kelowna with his family and, and, and Ken Holland will visit him. And the question is going to be, is it a one-year deal or is it a two-year deal? And I would prefer not a two-year deal, but it depends on how long Smith thinks he can play at this level. Oh, my gosh. And, and as good as Mike Smith played this year, if it was a two-year deal, I'm sure Ched's lines would be fun. 1260's lines would be a lot of fun because there would be those naysayers. I'll look to see if that happens. Brendan Clack joining me here on the Other Connor Podcast. Clack, uh, talking about buyouts potentially. Ken Holland also hinted that that could be an option. A lot of people going to James Neal, maybe Miko Koskinen. Would one of those make more sense to you? Well, I think that Miko Koskinen is the more likely buyout, but here's what I mean by that. I think that Koskinen is the easier guy to move in a trade because he's easier to retain salary on. He only has a year left on his deal. And teams also, they don't really take a one-year season for a goalie and say that's him. Like, they do look at the body of work, and it's possible that a team that is trading out a goalie could take a retained Koskinen in as a backup and see if they can work with him in that role as Koskinen has had success as a backup before. Now, if the Oilers cannot move Koskinen, he's the more likely buyout than Neil because he's just cheaper and he only has that one year left. But I think the hope in Edmonton would be if you can move along Koskinen and then that buyout for James Neal is so much cap relief. We're talking $3.8 million extra that you can add a forward with who is faster than Neil and is more in the game right now than Neil is. Like James Neal had success, I thought, when he was on a line with Alex Chason. The two of those guys do damage together. It's very odd to me because they're not burners. They're both kind of slow. But when you put them together, they seem to have some kind of chemistry. And with Ryan McLeod, they had some kind of chemistry. But we didn't see that line in the playoffs at all. It was always either Neil and Cassian or Chason with with other combinations. So at this point in time, I don't think Neil is a guy that is going to rebound at all. I think he is what he is. He's a guy that kind of has a touch around the net, but he's slowed down and he's not what he was. And for me, I would buy Neil out and Costin out if I couldn't move either. I would take all the cap flexibility I can because the Oilers should try to win the cup as soon as possible right now. But I would say that, Koskinen is the more likely move, whether that's a trade or a buyout. And I would expect that the Oilers are going to hope to try to trade him and buy out Neil. But if they can't, Koskinen's the one to go. What do you think about Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Obviously a, a longtime loyal member of the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, it kind of seems like a hot button issue. Some people in this town maybe overvalue him. Some people don't quite buy into the hype. If you're Ken Holland and uh, you're looking to make a fair offer to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, what does it look like? Well, the fair offer based on the body of work is $5 million a year, and that's definitely going to be over. Like, There's no way he's going to go that cheap. Uh, because he has played center in the past, he's had big seasons in the past, and therefore on the open market – it's not impossible that he would get 6.5. So at the end of the day, Ryan Nugent Hopkins wants to come back to Edmonton. That's not the debate. He wants to come back. There had been whispers in the previous seasons, like maybe 
maybe about a year ago, there's a whisper that, oh, if the Oilers don't make the playoffs, Nuge is looking for maybe a fresh start. That is totally out of the woods. Like He wants to come back, but it's that gap. The Oilers could offer five and a half, and Nuge might want six and a half. Do they compromise and go on six, maybe a six mil per deal at five or six years? Well, that's a tough one. Nuge didn't really produce that well at five on five. He had a real problem with finish. I found that he couldn't score like you wanted him to. He's, he wasn't putting the puck in the net like he should have. And as much as he's useful in the power play, the Oilers are kind of in a position where you have these two superstars in the power play in McDavid and Dreisaitl. You can play around with the other pieces and there's still going to be success there. So if you get a guy that's cheaper than Nuge, he might still have the same amount of success and more success at five on five. So it's a tough negotiation, but he wants to come back. I do feel like the Oilers will find a way to get close, whether it gets done or not, we'll see. But I mean, I feel like 5.75 is the best compromise and it all depends on does Nuge feel like he can get 6.5 on that open market. Clack, when you look at free agency this year, obviously uh, a lot of people say maybe left wing for Connor McDavid could be a need. Depth scoring obviously would help out five on five. Maybe a backup goaltender, someone who could compliment Mike Smith on an 82-game season. There's a lot of places Ken Holland could look to spend that money that he will have. And uh, for the first time as the general manager of the Oilers, you know, having some money to spend. If it's up to you, where do you think the money should go? Is there a position of depth or a position of need, I should say, that you think the Oilers are uh, maybe needing the most? Well, the Oilers have to be a little bit careful. And Ken Holland mentioned it in his press conference that the team has cap space. It's great. But at the same time, if you look at the future of who's getting money, Darnell Nurse is going to get paid. And I don't know if he's going to replicate the same offense he did this year. We're talking at 24 goal pace for him. I don't think that's going to happen again, but just the minutes he's taken on defensively and the amount of time he's played, look at that game four. He's on the ice for the entire game is what it felt like. He's going to get paid. And whether he goes into the negotiation and he goes, okay, Aaron Ekblad is who I think I'm better than and I deserve $7.5 million, well, that's going to be a significant raise on what he earns now. So they have to look at that. They have to look at Yessi Pugliarvi being an RFA in the future. They have to look at Yamamoto being an RFA right now, where that's probably a bridge deal. And then, of course, all the re-signings, Adam Larson, whether they bring Nuge back, whether they somehow get back in on Barry, whether they figure out what's going on with uh, other other players that, that they might want to bring in, that, that, that all kind of comes together as part of the puzzle. So they can't add a bunch of pieces, but they can definitely look around for at least, you'd think, two different impact pieces. I think Zach Hyman is the guy that I think everyone would agree is the best fit for the Oilers in terms of he can play with Connor McDavid, win puck battles, get in the corner and give Connor McDavid another crack at the offensive zone. That's for me, the guy that McDavid's always been missing is a guy that goes in there, gets the puck and gives it back to him so that it's not just one rush chance. It's a cycle. McDavid rarely has that kind of guy with him, but the Leafs have about $12 million in cap space. 
I don't think they're going to have any problem re-signing that guy unless he's overpaid. And I don't think the Oilers want to overpay a guy like Zach Hyman. So after that, it gets a little thin for me on targets I really like. But obviously a left winger for Connor McDavid would be a priority, especially in the top six. Uh, I look at the Colorado Avalanche, and I figure the Oilers are kind of missing that middle layer of forwards. They're missing the Brandon Sods, the Andre Burakovskis, the the Nazem Kadri's when they're not suspended. They're missing the 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 guys that are kind of your your secondary scoring two way guys. They're not. They don't have any of those guys. They really don't. Pulley kind of, he's getting there. He's kind of like the Oilers' Valeri Nachushkin. He's a big body and he keeps possession. But they, they need more. And also on defense, if Oscar Clefbaum can't come back, if his shoulder is just not going to cooperate or, or his desire to play is gone, and that's another thing we didn't talk about earlier, is if Seattle takes Clefbaum because they think, oh, He's exposed, which he might be, and he could be a top 4D for us. We could try to convince him to play. Then you have a big hole on the left side that you didn't have filled earlier. Like, the Oilers had problems filling that side all season long, and Dmitry Kulikov is probably not the answer going forward. So that's another hole they might want to look at filling. I really like Mike Riley as a UFA target. We can get more into targets in a, in a second, but, but Mike Riley is a really good puck-moving defenseman who – has come into his own this year as a real full-time player. I think he's going to be really undervalued in the free agent market, and he would look nice next to Adam Larson as kind of a, a foil to Larson's stay-at-home defense. Clock, you were just listening off the uh, Colorado Avalanche. I just thought, holy cow, that's a good team. <laughs> Obviously, oh, Sunday night, they just beat up on the Vegas Golden Knights, 7-1 win. They've got a loaded roster. Uh, we don't have too much time here, but you, you kind of teased it. There's some names out there. Who are the names you would at least look at? Maybe not too seriously, but you'd do some uh, some research and, and maybe make that phone call to see if there's any chance you could uh, line something up, make a fair offer. Yeah, so I threw a few names out there uh, before. Obviously, Zach Hyman. Uh, another guy would be Mike Riley, who, I mean, the last time that Edmonton had a Mike Riley, they won. So this is just another sport. <laughs> it I works. Mean, it still work out, yeah. But if you look at the other guys available, I really love Barclay Goudreau for the Oilers on the third line. I think that's a guy that can chip in more than the average bottom sixer can. He scored against Carolina, this, the 2-1 goal. And Goudreau is a really uh, smart player, gritty player. John Cooper called him a four by four Jeep that can just be in any situation. I, I really like Barkley Goudreau. I would look at Michael Bunting from the Arizona Coyotes. There's a guy that could be a value deal, but he had double digit goals in 20 or so games. He really came into his own after being called up from the minors. He's a unique free agent where he's, kind of a guy that you feel like is an RFA type, but he's available in the UFA market. So there's a guy that compares himself to Brad Marchand and wants to get into the corner, grind it out, but has also quite good skill. There's a value deal I like. I would call Dougie Hamilton's agent. I don't think you have anything to lose trying to get Dougie Hamilton. He's the best defenseman on the market. These guys don't grow on trees. He's excellent. He scores double-digit goals every single season. He's played in Calgary, so he knows Alberta decently enough. He knows the Battle of Alberta and what it means. I would be looking at Dougie Hamilton and going, let's call him. Let's see what happens. Is it likely? No. 
But give it a try anyway because you need to win now. So he's a guy I'm still going to give a call to and see what happens. And uh, I like Thomas Tatar. Now, he's had a really rough playoffs, and it's turning a lot of people off. And he even got scratched for game six. But that's kind of the point. If you can get Thomas Tatar on a cheap one-year Tyson Berry-like deal and tell him you're going to be with Connor McDavid, that could be really good value for a team that's trying to really maximize their cap space. And he's also played with Ken Holland before on the Detroit Red Wings. So I don't mind that kind of deal. Uh, maybe Jaden Schwartz as well, a Saskatchewan kid, uh, who's not a kid anymore, but a good two-way player. I like those names. Uh, I've heard Thomas Tatar come up quite a bit, and you're right. I mean, selfishly for Oilers fans, the struggles in the playoffs, not the worst thing. If, if that drives the price down a little bit, it could be a good thing. Clock, thanks so much for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I think the Oilers offseason is going to be extremely interesting, probably the most interesting since 2016. Excellent stuff from Brendan Clack at NHL Update on Twitter, also a contributor at Fantrax, and we appreciate him hopping on the podcast, sharing some of that knowledge. As I said, give him a follow on Twitter, at NHL Update. I know he got that account a long time ago, held on to it, and now he's following through with what the name promises. Lots of updates, lots of information on free agent signings, uh, guys getting released, the buyouts, all that sort of thing. He's right on top of it, at NHL Update. And with that being said, we're going to wrap up the show today. Big thank you to Brendan Clack and the 630 Chads, Reed Wilkins, for joining me here on the podcast today. Coming up on the next episode and throughout this summer, we're not going away. We're going to keep going here. We'll be talking a little bit about Oilers free agency. We'll profile some of the players that the team might be looking at. We'll also talk about the draft. We'll have some of the leading draft experts join me to talk about who the Oilers might be able to take with their selection at the 2021 NHL entry draft. We know it's going to be a a mid to late pick. So what's the strategy going to be for the Oilers? If you ask me, I think it's best player available. You don't have to necessarily target a position and maybe take someone a little early. I think you take the best player available, let them sit, and in a few years, you got a player that you can just insert right into the lineup. Let me know, though. What do you think? At Connor Halley on Twitter, that's the best way to reach me. That's going to do it. Like I said, big thank you to our sponsor, the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. If you're signing up, and I recommend you do, make sure to use promo code THPN. That's THPN standing for the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Connor Halley. Thanks again so much for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you next time here on the Other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.